What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Milari. So today I'm going to give a quick update on what has been going on in the MLB. I'm going to talk about a few teams, the Dodgers, the Mets, the Oakland A's, and the Boston Red Sox. I'm going to talk about all four teams how they've been playing as of late. First two teams have not been playing great as of late, the Dodgers and the Mets. Two teams that I had going very far in the NL. Two teams I had matching up in the NLCS in my predictions, which once again, as I have said now for months, Never really got to put those out. Still have to do that. I'm going to do that hopefully one day soon. I would just list out every record that I have for each team. But here I'm going to talk about the Dodgers really quick. 3-7 and seven over their last 10 games. They lost two or three games this past weekend against the Phillies. And now they start a three-game series tomorrow night against the Chicago White Sox at home in L.A. They play Chicago for three games and then play San Francisco for three games. I think ideally they have to get five or six games to get really back on track and get their wheels going again. I think with this Dodgers team, they have so much talent, very star-filled roster, and that's the issue right now is they have a lot of stars, a lot of talent on that team. They just aren't really putting it all together, and partly is because of injuries. I mean, this is a team that's up, that is without Gavin Lux. They're starting young star shortstop. They're without two of their best pitches, probably their two best overall. I'd say Dustin May, 4-1 record on the year with the 2-6-3 ERA. He's been out since May 17th. He left a start with an injury and has not been back. He's on the 60-day IL right now with that injury, which was a strain in his arm. Tough break for a pitcher that just came back from Tommy John's surgery and showed promise while he was back, but obviously it does not look like he'll be back for a while. As I said, he is on the 60-day IL with that right arm strain. So not really good news there for the Dodgers. He was put on there a month ago now almost. So we'll see if he'll be back at any point this season. But that's one guy that's been out for a while. Then Walker Bueller hopes to return in September from an injury. One of the best pitchers in baseball there as well. Julio Urias, one of the best pitchers in baseball last year in ERA. He's been out since May 18th. So they lost Dustin May and Julio Urias back-to-back and back-to-back days at one point in May. Doesn't look like he'll be back right now. He was supposed to be back actually within the next few days, but looks like he suffered maybe a setback there and will be back later than the Dodgers originally hoped. So that's another injury. Three injuries there to their starting rotation. One positive note for this Dodgers team is how great Bobby Miller, a very young prospect for them, 24-year-old, right-handed pitching prospect, has been great. He's looked awesome. Gets his fastball up to 100 miles an hour. Has a good breaking ball as well. 3-0 record with a .78 ERA in four starts. A .826 whip. 0.826 whip so far in his first four starts. Two earned runs and 23 strikeouts with seven walks and 23 innings pitched. He's looked awesome. That's one positive thing for the Dodgers. And another thing is, Mookie Betts is back to being Mookie Betts. 263 batting average on the year. You still would hope for his batting average to be higher, but he's been playing a lot better over his last 10 games. On the year, 263 batting average with a 534 slugging percentage, a 901 OPS, 17 home runs, and 41 RBIs for the superstar. Can play every position, second base, shortstop, right field. He's been doing it all for the Dodgers this year. And over his last 10 games, He's back to himself, 333 batting average with a 762 slugging percentage, an 1179 OPS with six home runs and 10 RBIs over that 10-game stretch. That's one great thing for the Dodgers. Another sure thing for them is how great Freddie Freeman's been playing. 338 batting average on the year with 13 home runs, 44 RBIs, a 998 OPS, and a 166 OPS+. plus. He's been carrying their offense all year round, game in and game out. He's been showing up every single day to play. One guy that's been playing great for them as well is MLB veteran Jason Hayward, who's revitalized his career in L.A. Seven home runs and a two thirty three batting average so far on the year for the Dodgers. Last year, he hit just one home run in 48 games for the Chicago Cubs. So just one home run 
in 48 games. This year, seven home runs in 49 games for the Dodgers. So he's six more home runs this season in just one more game, which is very impressive. So obviously his bat has turned around. He's been playing great baseball for the Dodgers. And another thing with him right now is that his OPS is at 815 on the year, which would be a career best for him besides his rookie year in 2010 and the short in 2020 COVID season. So very impressive numbers there for Jason Hayward. Another player that's revitalized his career in L.A., 35-year-old J.D. Martinez who the Sox let go this past offseason. 16 home runs and a 269 batting average with a 926 OPS and a 141 OPS plus for Martinez on the year. Martinez has 16 home runs in 50 games for the Dodgers this season. Last year, just 16 home runs in 139 games for the Red Sox. 16 home runs in 139 games last year for the Red Sox. And he already has 16 home runs in 50 games for the Dodgers this year. So all in all, if you look at the math there, he has the same amount of home runs that he did last year with the Red Sox, but has done it in 89 less games this year. So the Dodgers just know what they're doing. They find ways to get players in their system and turn things around. Obviously, that hasn't really worked for Noah Syndergaard. He really hasn't been playing great, and now he's on the IL with a blister, and I think that's maybe just a way to cover up the poor play he's had and maybe just get him to reset, figure things out, go back to the fundamentals, fundamentals and the basics. But Aston Martinez and Hayward... They have found ways to revitalize a career in L.A. And I know I've praised the Dodgers probably a million times now between my podcast and my radio show. I always say that they're the most well-run organization in all of sports because they find ways to develop talent in their farm system while at the same time they find ways to make big moves, whether it's a big free agent signing or a big trade. I've talked about it a million times, but they're not afraid to make a big move, whether it's trading for Mookie Betts, whether it's trading for Max Scherzer and trading for Trey Turner, whether it's signing a big free agent and Freddie Freeman, they are never afraid to make a big move. And that's what I love about this Dodgers team most, that they're dedicated to winning. Whether it's developing a farm system and figuring out ways to make their farm system even stronger while also trying to find a way to add talent to their current team, they do it just about every single year. They're not afraid to make a big trade and send some of those prospects elsewhere because they know they have other guys coming up. And that just obviously proves how good they are at developing talent. And then also how good they're at developing talent on their current team. I mean, you look at guys like Martinez and Hayward, two guys that nobody thought had really any juice left in the tank, especially for a guy like Martinez. I mean, the Sox let him go last year, and obviously only 16 home runs in 139 games is such a good slugger over his career. That wasn't great numbers, obviously, in 139 games. Goes to the Dodgers this year and has found a way to be top five in OPS, top in slugging, and also found a way to have 16 home runs as well in his first 50 games. So very impressive start of the season there for J.D. Martinez. One last thing I want to talk about with the Dodgers is James Outman, a rookie for them who's struggled over the last 39 games. In his first 22 games of the season, he had a 314 batting average with an 1122 OPS, seven home runs and 19 RBIs, was on his way to be NL Rookie of the Year at the time. But now he's struggled over his last 39 games and now he's fallen out of the rotation. He's not really an everyday player anymore. He's just 22 of his last 119 at-bats for a 185 batting average with 11 RBIs, 53 strikeouts with 13 walks over that 39-game stretch with five stone bases and a 590 OPS. He has to get things going, and he has to get things going soon, especially if he wants to stay in that Dodgers rotation in the outfield, a team that has to figure out ways to win games now. I mean, they've won only three games in the last 10. They've got to make adjustments and find ways to fix what they've been doing wrong. And for guys who've been struggling a ton, like Outman, He's going to lose even more at-bats if he doesn't really do much in those at-bats that he's going to get in the next few games. I know his at-bats have been limited now. He hasn't really been an everyday outfielder for them since that 
you know, 30 to 40 game stretch where he was struggling. But in the first 20 games, he was on his way to be NL Rookie of the Year and was the favorite for it. Now he's obviously fallen out of that. Looks like it'll be Corbin Carroll uh, taking that home in the NL, probably rather easily at this point uh, as well. So the next team I talk about is the New York Mets. 2-8 and eight record in the last 10 games. They'll be playing at City Field for two games in the Subway Series starting tomorrow against the New York Yankees. I think the Mets would love at least a split in this series and anything more than that. If they were to win both games, that obviously would be huge. But even a split would be good for that Mets team considering they've been struggling. Only two wins in their last 10 games. Tomorrow on the mound for the Mets, it'll be Max Scherzer, their ace, going up against Luis Severino for the Yankees. And then on Wednesday, going on the mound for the Mets, it'll be Justin Verlander against Garrett Cole, the Yankees' ace. I'm going to talk about Verlander and and talk about Max Scherzer in just a second. As a Garrett Cole, 7-1 record. The Sox just gave him his first loss of the season uh, just a few nights ago now on Friday night. Cole holds the 2.84 ERA with the 1.14 whip. As for Severino, who will be pitching tomorrow for the Yankees, he has a 5.75 ERA in 20 to 3rd innings pitched with a 1.33 whip and an 0-1 record. So that is who is pitching for the New York Yankees in the next two games against the Mets. As for Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, those are two guys that are finally healthy at the same time. Verlander, 2-3 and three record all in the year with a 4.85 ERA with a 1.33 whip in seven starts. The Mets are just 2-5 and five in the seven starts on the year for Verlander. And one thing is they really haven't given them much offensive production. They did score two runs or less in four of those starts. So obviously the offense needs to be better for Verlander as well. In his last three st- starts, he has struggled. 14 innings pitched with 13 strikeouts to eight walks. Obviously walks have been an issue. Eight walks at 14 innings pitched for such a great ace. That isn't great there. And then also a six ERA over those three starts. He has to be better and this would be a great time for him to wake up. Max Scherzer, he gave up five earned runs in his last five and two-thirds innings pitched against the Atlanta Braves. That was in his last start. He did add in 10 strikeouts in that game. But his previous four starts before that game against Atlanta, he was back to his side young ways. Three earned runs and 25 innings pitched in his last four starts before that last one against Atlanta with 28 strikeouts and four walks with a 3-0 record, a 1.08 ERA, and a .182 batting average against. A 182 batting average against, which is elite. He was obviously playing great baseball right before that last start against Atlanta. Hopefully he is back and is doing that on a consistent basis for the Mets. The Mets rotation has been strengthened by Kodai Senga, a guy they added in the offseason from Japan. He has been awesome. His ghost forkball has been elite on the year. Has a lot of drop in that pitch. Is very unpredictable as well for the hitter to predict where it's going to go. Ton of break in that every single time he throws it. 3-3-4 ERA on the year and 12 starts for Senga. 79 strikeouts and 64 two-thirds innings pitched. He's been consistently healthy, which is obviously big for that Mets team. They obviously need somebody in that rotation that can stay healthy considering they've only gone seven starts out of Verlander on the year. And then obviously Max Scherzer as well. Has had a ton of injuries, so it's not easy for that Mets rotation to be good when everybody's hurt, but at least Senga has been healthy, and obviously he's been putting up some good numbers. So that's one positive thing for the Mets is now you finally have Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander healthy, and hopefully on a consistent basis. The problem with this Mets team, though, right now is obviously injuries. That's tough. Obviously losing Verlander for some time, that wasn't easy, and now to make matters worse, they're losing the MLB home run leader, Pete Alonso for the next three to four weeks with a wrist sprain after a hit by a pitch against Atlanta. He's been great on the year. 22 home runs, the 49 RBIs, a 231 batting average for Pete. But one thing with this Mets team is they need guys to get going. They need guys to get going. You need Francisco Lindor to get going. 12 home runs on the year, which is good, but he's hitting just 216 as a batting average and has a 291 on base percentage. He needs to be better than that. 
He needs to be better than that. In his last 25 games, Lindor's hitting just 204 with a 680 OPS. The Mets need him around 250 if they want to turn things around. They need him at least around 250. And even then, he should be better than 250, but it would be much better than hitting 204 over that 25-game stretch and just 216 on the year. 250, it's not asking for too much for a guy that you're paying $341 million to over a 10-year stretch. That's not asking for too much. And obviously, Steve Cohen, the Mets owner, did just say he's not going to blow things up with the Mets. But what are they going to do to turn things around? Because sometimes you need a spark to turn things around. And as of now, it doesn't look like they have that. So it leaves a question mark. Is Buck Showalter the guy? Is he going to still be the Mets manager in two months from now? I would say not. I think there's a chance Buck Showalter is fired by the end of the month if things continue to go downhill and things don't turn around. And I know a lot of the circumstances aren't his fault at all. The injuries he is not to blame for especially with Edwin Diaz going down with that knee injury celebrating at the World Baseball Classic in mid-March. Having that be the way the Mets went into the season, that was obviously a brutal way to get things going. So I don't really blame Showalter for any of the injuries. And obviously, at the end of the day, this Mets team went fully healthy. I mean, things definitely could be different. But you can't really make excuses. If you're 2-8 and eight over the last 10 games, something has to flip and you have to tur- figure things out. Something has to turn around. And I like Buck Showalter. I think he's a great manager, and I think he's a great guy as well. But this team came into the season with expectations to win the World Series, and they haven't been able to live up to those expectations yet. So unless things turn around rather quickly in the next month or so, I think Buck Showalter could be gone by the All-Star game. And I know, as I said, Steve Cohen, the Mets owner, said he doesn't want to blow things up, especially considering how much money he put into this Mets team. You don't want to blow things up. But at the same time, Something has to change, and I think Showalter could be out of the door within a month if things don't turn around. And we'll see what my boy Dan the Man thinks, the king of Hasbrook Heights. He is a big Mets fan. Obviously, he's been on the podcast a good amount. I'll check in with him and see what he thinks about this Mets team, but I definitely think there's a chance that Showalter's gone in the next month. So one guy I was talking about was Stanley Mate, and I mentioned how he was underperforming overall this season, hitting just two fifty eight with a three thirty three slugging percentage, a six forty nine OPS, and three home runs. He has added in 18 stone bases, which tied his total from the entire last season, actually. So, had just 18 stone bases in 2022. Art is 18 stone bases here in the 2023 season. But last year, if you look at his numbers, 16 home runs, 63 RBIs, a 292 batting average with an 814 OPS. His batting average is down to 258 this year from 292 last year. His OPS last year was 814. He's at 649 to start the year. And he hit three home runs this season so far, and he had 16 last season. 16 home runs last season, only has three home runs to start this year. So obviously he has to flip a switch and get back on track, which he has done in his last 15 games. He's hitting 321 for a batting average over his last 15 games with a 785 OPS and five stone bases. He's starting to get things right and figure things out, which is pretty good for this Mets team. As for the Mets overall, they have a 240 team batting average, which is 13th out of 15 teams in the NL. The power numbers are there, 79 home runs, For the Mets, which is 10th best in the entire MLB, very impressive. But 13th out of 15 teams in the NL in batting average. Something has to turn around for this Mets team. Hoping they do it soon. Obviously a big start. They would be winning at least one of these two games against the Yankees. If you were to win two, maybe that starts a four or five game winning streak. And that gets things going again and gets the offense rolling. Hopefully things turn around for the Mets. But as I said, things are not looking great for them as things stand right now. But it's a long season. I'm not putting anything past this Mets team. This is a team that I had winning the NL in my predictions. I still would roll with this team to at least make a run in the NL. I'm not going to put things away and just say this team's done. Since it is a long season, they do have time to figure things out. But you have to figure things out soon. 
Because the longer you go into the season without figuring things out, the harder it's going to get to turn things around you get to September. Because by the time you get to September, that's when you want to be playing your best baseball. And to be playing good baseball in September, you kind of have to figure things out in June, July, and, and even the beginning of August, middle of August as well. You know, the trade deadline's right around there as well. You have to figure things out before you get to September if you want to get back on track and have a chance for the playoffs. So the Mets can screw around as much as they want to as long as they're still a playoff team by September. And let's say they get hot in September, that's all that matters. As long as they get a playoff shot and they get into the playoffs, that's really all you can expect for a team that's been struggling this much as of late. Obviously losing eight of the last ten games, that's not a great way to go into the middle of June. But at the end of the day, there still is a lot of baseball left. I do have confidence in this team to figure things out. But if things were to still continue to go downhill, as I said, I think Buck Walter could be out the door within the next month. So one team to talk about that's been hot as of late is the Oakland A's. They've won five straight games, sweeping the Milwaukee Brewers this weekend, which is very impressive. Milwaukee, a team that's only about four or five games over 500. Doesn't seem like a lot beating that team for three games, but considering how poor Oakland's been on the year, that's very impressive. Very impressive to see Oakland win five straight games. This is a team that people were shocked that they even won two or three games in a row. So winning five games in a row is very impressive for this A's team. This is a team that's 17-50 overall on the year. Five and five in the last ten games, though, and considering they've won five games, that's obviously a big reason they're five and five over that stretch. They did take two or three games against Atlanta at the end of May, which was impressive. So if you look at their last, let's see here, last twelve games or so, they're seven and five over the last twelve games, taking two of three against Atlanta, taking two of three against Pittsburgh, getting swept by Miami in a three-game set at Miami, and then taking three against Milwaukee. So they've won three out of the last four series which is very impressive. And credit to the Oakland offense, they've started to get going, hitting 290 as a team over the last five games, fifth best in the MLB over that stretch. They've scored 35 runs in the last five games, which is the sixth most in baseball in the last week. The A's have only played five games over the last week. The Giants, Dodgers, Braves, Guardians, those four teams are fifth through second in runs over the last week, but they've all played six games. So they've all played one more game then the Oakland Athletics have in the last week. The A's have played five games. Those teams I just said, Giants, Dodgers, Braves, Guardians, have all played six games over the last week. So they've all played one more game. That's obviously a reason that they have more runs than the A's over the last week. But the A's offense has finally come to life, hitting 290 as a team, as I said, over the last five games. Fifth best in baseball. Have scored the sixth most runs in baseball over the last five games. 35 runs in the last five over this win streak, averaging seven runs a game. Credit to Jace Peterson. He's hitting 533 over the last five games. Eight for 15 over his last 15 at-bats over that stretch. With seven RBIs, two stolen bases, a 611 on base percentage, and a 1611 OPS. Seth Brown has been great for the A's as well. Six for 19 over the last five games. With two doubles, four runs scored, a home run, five RBIs, and a 1037 over the win streak. And then Alemis Diaz, the last guy I'm to talk about, hitting just 204 on the season, but is hitting 455 in his last three games played with five hits in his last 11 at bats. Those three guys all having a great stretch over this win streak, but three guys have been hitting poorly on the season. Diaz hitting just 204 on the season, Seth Brown just hitting 198 on the season, and Jace Peterson hitting 223 on the season. Those three guys have found ways to obviously produce, but their offensive production over the last week. Definitely is not sustainable, so I do expect their bats to go cold. I don't think many people expect this ace team to continue to go on a crazy run. Maybe they'll win a few more games. But I don't think these guys are going to be hitting 533, 316, 
and 455 for much longer over that win streak. So we'll see what happens for that A's team. Offensively, obviously, they've turned things around. Pitching, they've been playing great as well on the mound. 293 team ERA in the last five games, which is the fourth best in Major League Baseball. 2022 All-Star Paul Blackburn has a 3-6 ERA on the season. He went six scoreless innings with five strikeouts, one walk, and four hits against Milwaukee on Saturday. Sam Long, a reliever for the A's, picked up two saves back-to-back on Saturday and Sunday versus the Brewers. He had two saves in those two games, as I said, with two strikeouts and no walks in three and a third innings pitched in three appearances over this win streak. And then James Caprillion, 1-6 record on the year with a 7-2-1 ERA. He did go six strong innings, though, against Pittsburgh last Tuesday to start the win streak. He had one earned run and did walk five guys in that game, so obviously he has struggled with walks. He will start tonight against Tampa Bay. A Rays team that have won eight of the last 10 games. The Rays have Zach Eflin on the mound tonight. Eight and one record on the year with the 2.97 ERA and a .96 whip. That's a guy that the Red Sox pursued in the offseason. But he ended up choosing Tampa Bay for the same amount of money. If the Sox maybe gave him a million or two more per year, he would have been a Red Sox and obviously would have been a great add to that Red Sox rotation. A rotation has been struggling overall on the season. But regardless, the Red Sox can't go backwards, so... Can't do anything about it now, unfortunately. But as for Oakland, they will be hosting Tampa Bay for four games in Oakland at the Coliseum. If they somehow found a way to split with Tampa Bay, it would be a win for the entire AL East and the AL in general. I think they get at least one in this series. And even then, that would be an improvement for Oakland considering how poor they were in the month of May. I don't think Oakland's win streak is very sustainable, though. So even though they have found a way to win five games in a row, a lot of guys are getting caught at the exact same time, whether it's pitching or or hitting, and I don't think that's going to continue for much longer. So they have won five in a row. If they were to win one of four against Tampa Bay, I think that's a win for Oakland. If they win two of four from Tampa Bay, that would be a miracle. But we'll obviously see what happens there in that series. And the last team I'm going to talk about is the Boston Red Sox, who found a way to take two of three games against the Yankees this weekend in the Bronx, beating the Yankees on Sunday Night Baseball last night in extra innings. The Sox found a way to win, which was very important, considering the Sox have been struggling against the AL East over the last year. The Sox got a ton of help from their starting rotation. Garrett Whitlock went a strong six and third innings with seven hits allowed, one earned run, and six strikeouts and one walk with 88 pitches on Friday night, picking up the win. As of Saturday, Tanner Houck was on the mound for the Sox. Houck pitched very well in a losing effort, went six innings, giving up two earned runs, both of them being home runs. Gave up a home run to Gleyber Torres and Willie Calhoun, both of them coming in the fourth and the sixth innings. Houck went six innings, giving up just three hits, two earned runs, six strikeouts, and one walk with 93 pitches. Pitched very well, considering both of the runs he gave up were home runs. Only gave up three hits, with two of those being home runs. Houck had great stuff in that game. The curveball looked great. The fastball looked good as well. The issue was run support, just getting one run behind Tanner Houck on offense was the issue there. So not the best night for the Sox offensively on Saturday. As for Sunday, though, on Sunday Night Baseball, the Sox found a way to win and now at 33-33 on the year, getting back to 500. Brian Bayo was elite on the mound for the Red Sox last night. Now is a 3.78 ERA on the year. Went seven and a third innings, giving up three hits, two earned runs, three strikeouts, and two walks with 98 pitches over that seven-inning stretch. He looks great for the Red Sox. The only two earned runs he gave up came in the bottom of the second inning with two outs. Runners on second and third. The Yankees had Jose Trevino at the plate. Trevino had a hard ground ball up the middle that Kika Hernandez could have failed it if he jumped over the base. He expected the ball just to bounce over it and go into his glove and be a routine ground ball throw from second base to first base. Unfortunately, it took a bad bounce. 
goes off of second base and into center field. Jaron Duran grabbing it while two runners score. So the Yankees pick up two runs on that play. It wasn't an error. It was a base hit single there. So tough luck there for Kike Hernandez, Brian Bayo in the Red Sox. Bayo was laughing it off even. I think he realized, you know, at the end of the day, what are the chances it hit second base? Probably not very high. Obviously, the MLB did implement a bigger second base, a bigger third base, a bigger first base, you know, this season, making bigger bases all around the diamond. And maybe that played a role there with the ball hitting second base and helping out Trevino. Trevino picks up two RBIs on that single. As for the Red Sox, though, they had a big situation at the top of the eighth, being down 2-1. to one. They let off the inning with a Kike Hernandez single, and then Reese McGuire walked. Then Pablo Reyes is at the plate first and second, nobody out. Has a great sacrifice bunt, putting two runners in scoring position, second and third, one out for Jaron Duran. And Duran got the job done, tying the game on a ground out to second baseman Gleyber Torres, scoring Kike Hernandez from third base. So the 2-2 two two ball game going into the bottom of the ninth. The Sox had Nick Pavetta on the mound. And he got three outs for the Sox, found a way to get out Giancarlo Stanton on a ground out. Giancarlo had pretty good numbers against Nick Pavetta in his career, came into the game as a pinch hitter, and Pavetta retired him on a ground out to Pablo Reyes. Then Isaiah Kainafalefa grounded out to Rafael Devis. Devis made a great play, leaning over the third baseline, throwing the ball all the way across the diamond on a one-hop to Tristan Casas, who made a great play with a great stretch, getting out there, and then Gleyber Torres walked, and then Anthony Rizzo flew out to center field. So the Sox went into the ninth inning with a 2-2 score. Neither team could score in the ninth, and then it was the top of the 10th inning. The Sox had Adam Duvall at second base. They pinch ran him for Justin Turner. Casas grounded out, but did move Duvall over from second to third, and then Kiki Hernandez had a big, big hit, an RBI single on a rocket 103-mile-per-hour hit off the bat, getting between the shortstop and third baseman of the Yankees. The Yankees are playing on the lip of the grass, waiting for a hot-hit ground ball so they could try to cut the runner down at the plate and not give up a run. Keegan Hernandez gets the job done, though, gets a single there. Sox score that run, making it 3-2. to two. Connor Wong grounded out on a fielder's choice. The Sox had a runner at first base, two outs for Pablo Reyes. Pablo Reyes had a shot to left field that I thought got out. I think everybody in the ballpark thought that ball was gone as well, and everybody watching on TV, considering how hard it was hit and how far it went off the bat. But McKinney, the left fielder for the Yankees, made a great play in left field, finding a way to reach over the fence just before it could get over there, the left field wall at Yankee Stadium, making the play, getting the out, retiring the side. And then in the ninth inning, the Sox had Chris Martin on the mound, who got the job done, picking up two strikeouts and just needed 13 pitches in that inning, picking up a save and lowering his ERA to 2.29 on the year. Obviously, big game there for the Red Sox getting that big win. Kenley Jensen came in in the ninth inning, delivered, keeping the game tied at two runs, two to two apiece. Jensen got three outs, picking up a strikeout and lowering his ERA to 3.32 on the year. So big win there for the Sox. Duran was two for four with a double in the first inning, also picking up a single as well. Verdugo was one for four. Devis was one for four. Turner was one for three. And the Kiko Hernandez was the player of the game, two for four, with an RBI and a run scored. He did pick up the tying run scored in the eighth inning with that Jaron Durant ground out. And then also had the RBI, the game-winning RBI there in extra innings. So big night for Kiko Hernandez. He was the player of the game for the Sox. And just one more thing I want to mention now about the Red Sox where I close is Rafael Devis has been struggling. He's been struggling. I know I talked about it with Chris Cotillo last week, but on the year, Devin's hitting just 247 with a 300 base percentage and a 794 OPS. If you look at Kike Hernandez, Kike Hernandez has the same on base percentage, 
300 a base percentage for Kike, 300 a base percentage for Rafael Devis. And Kike's not much worse as a batting average. Devis is hitting 247, Kike's hitting 231. That should never be the case for your star third baseman, a guy that just got paid as well. And I'm not sure what's going on with Devis right now. I mean, he could turn it around. Obviously, over the last week, he's hit better in his last seven games, two home runs, three RBIs, picking up a 296 batting average in the last seven games with a 556 slugging percentage and a 900 OPS over the last seven games. So he's hitting eight for his last 27 over that seven-game stretch, which is good. But his last 23 games... Devis is hitting just 233 with a 293 on base percentage, a 433 slugging percentage, and a 726 OPS with four home runs and 15 RBIs, picking up six doubles as well, striking out 21 times over those 23 games with seven walks over that stretch. For a star third baseman, he should never be hitting 233, especially considering he's the focal point of that lineup. The Sox need Devis around 280. Especially with this Sox lineup. I mean, you don't have Xander Bogots and JD Martinez around Devis anymore, so I know it's a little bit easier now to pitch around him, considering you don't have to worry about Devis being surrounded by Martinez and Bogots. So if you have three three balls on him, it's a lot easier now to say, oh, just give him a walk and give him the base. Considering last year when you have Devis with Bogots and Martinez, it's not as easy just to say, oh, we'll put him on first base just to do it. So I understand it's a little bit easier now for teams to game plan against Devis, considering he's the only big bat in that Red Sox lineup. But he should never have the same on-base percentage as Kiki Hernandez. 300 on base percentage on the year for Kike, 300 on base percentage on the year for Rafael Devis. That should not be the case. That should not be the case. Devis has to find a way to figure things out and get better and get stronger. And I know a lot of people talk about this Red Sox team and say that we're mediocre and we're 33 and 33 on the year, which they are 500 right now, so it's not like we're playing great baseball. But nobody's really talking about Devis and how he's been struggling. Nobody's been talking about that. Devis shouldn't get a pass and just get a free pass for how poor he's been playing over the last 25 games. He doesn't just get a pass. He needs to figure things out and get better, especially if this Red Sox team wants to make the postseason. Devis needs to be hitting better than 247 on the year with a 300 on base percentage. If you look at the Red Sox team, Connor Wong is a 297 on base percentage, which is just a little bit worse than Rafael Devis. Jaron Duran, 337 on base percentage. Alex Verdugo, 360 on base percentage. Justin Turner, 347 on base percentage. Tristan Casas, 322 on base percentage. And Costas is only hitting 201. Costas is hitting 201 on the year and has a 22 point higher on base percentage than Rafael Devis. Devis needs to figure things out and, and get back on track. The Sox had an interesting lineup last night. They had four lefties in a row at the top of the order Jaron Duran, Alex Verdugo, Masataki Yoshida, and Rafael Devis. Interesting lineup by Alex Cora, but it did work. I know Clark Schmidt is a righty and was starting for the Yankees on the mound, but still four lefties in a row you don't really see every day in the MLB. Regardless, the Sox did get the win, which is obviously huge. Tonight, Jaron Duran will be leading off again against the Colorado Rockies, a team that's been struggling on the year, just 27-40 and 40 overall on the season. They have a very good manager in Bud Black. I think he's one of the best managers in the game of baseball, but they don't really have much talent on that team, especially with Chris Bryant being hurt. He has five home runs, 17 RBIs in 50 games on the season. Charlie Blackman's hurt as well. Five home runs, 26 RBIs with 769 OPS and a 265 batting average in 56 games on the season. And then CJ Crone's hurt as well. So the three best players overall in that lineup are all hurt. CJ Crone, six home runs, 20 RBIs and a 228 batting average on the season overall with a 703 OPS. Ryan McMahon's probably the best hitter overall on the season. 
So I'll change the last statement I said, and I'll say three of the four best players on the Rockies are hurt heading into the series against the Red Sox. Obviously, as I mentioned, Crone, Bryant, and Blackman are all hurt. But Ryan McMahon's been great for them this year for the Rockies. 10 home runs, 37 RBIs, a 261 batting average, and 814 OPS, adding in 18 doubles in 65 games played. The Rockies have only won three games in their last 10. They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10 games heading into Fenway Park. Daniel Baudry making his return to Fenway, a guy that played for the Red Sox the first five years of his career, had a 10-19 record for the Sox in five seasons with a 3.67 ERA, adding in 252 strikeouts and 257 in the third innings pitched for the Sox in his career. Did pick up some, some saves as well, five saves for the Sox in his career. He was a reliever for the Red Sox, and they tried to make him a starting pitcher, which just didn't work. Before being a starting pitcher, though, he was very effective as a reliever for the Red Sox. His first three years in the MLB, 2.88 ERA in 192 appearances out of the bullpen for the Red Sox. Then they tried to make him a starting pitcher in 2012, and that changed the entire trajectory of his career and never really found his footing after that. So he wasn't in the MLB from 2013 to 2019, returned to the MLB in 2020 with a miraculous comeback in the minor leagues, had a 4-2 record for the Rockies in 2020, and has found a way to be one of the best relievers in baseball over the last two seasons. This year in 18 appearances, a .96 ERA with 17 strikeouts and 18 two-thirds innings pitched. Last year in 2022, 6-4 record with a 179 ERA with 69 strikeouts and 60 innings pitched. Also adding in 34 saves last year as the closer for the Rockies. Very impressive season from last year and this year as well. Very happy to see him back at Fenway Park considering all he's gone through over the last few years. To see him back playing the game of baseball and be back in the MLB is obviously great. To see him back at Fenway Park where things all began is even more special. So wishing him nothing but the best of luck in this series against the Red Sox. Anyways, that will conclude this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. Hope you guys have a good one. Thank you.